Welcome to this new episode of The New Show, coming live from here at the study in Burgaw. We opened with a bit of Beethoven, and we'll move to some Mozart just a little later on, but I want to begin by talking about this week's reading from Luke's Gospel. Luke is giving us a picture of a domestic scene, and it is not a picture of domestic tranquility, a uh, picture of two sisters, Mary and Martha. Everybody knows a Mary and Martha. You've all had them in your own lives, seen them one way or another. Maybe you've been a Mary and you've been a Martha regardless of your gender. And the clash between Mary and Martha is usually shared in one way or another as a sermon on servant ministry. How one person serves in one way and then another person serves in another way. And that's fine and that's that's good. But that isn't all that it seems. There's more happening there and there's more going on. Uh, There are two theologies at work, two ways of doing ministry, two ways of seeing Jesus, all under one roof, all in the presence of Jesus, and I call that a church, though it's their home, but for our purposes we'll call it church. Both are valid and have uh, a place in that church or that home where they live and where they worship. Each one is accepted by Jesus. Mary's way is okay. Martha's way is okay. And call it homogeneity, as Jesus notes, is not the answer. Just saying one person's way is 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 good and the other person's way is bad. That's not the answer. Crushing one person's gift as invalid or wrong so that only one form of ministry or theology is recognized or uh, is, 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 is happening. That's, that's not the right way to go. Or so that Jesus may just reject one person's set of gifts. That's not the answer either. Or is rejected outright. In Jesus' vision, both Mary and Martha's gifts can be appreciated and shared equally. That's that's what that's what Luke presents. That Mary's vision and Martha's vision, they both can exist equally and be shared at the same time. Jesus loves both of them and wants them to remain together under one roof. That's heterogeneity. Jesus embraces our differences, and for this, I am grateful that Jesus saves us, accepts us, because of and in spite of our differences, brings them all together under one roof, and we call that the church. That's how we win. So, let's uh, let that sort of mill about in our minds as we prepare for this week's sermon. Well, it's been in the news here recently. You uh, can't miss it if you uh, 
turn on the television or pick up a newspaper or turn on the radio, we're uh, in the season of commemoration of the 50th anniversary of the first uh, landing on the moon, Apollo 11. And there is a faith aspect to that that is uh, very interesting, that uh, the second man to walk on the moon, Buzz Aldrin, took communion aboard the Eagle Lunar Lander. Um, Aldrin put the idea uh, of celebrating communion during the Apollo 11 mission to the moon to NASA, and they first responded with skepticism. Apparently, um, the agency had fended off a lawsuit uh, during the Apollo 8, or in the wake of the Apollo 8 mission, which uh, Frank Borman and the Jim Lovell and uh, Ed Anders had read sections from Genesis during Christmas Eve while they were orbiting the moon. The noted atheist activist Madeline Murray O'Hare had derided it as a violation of uh, separation of church and state, and they, the case was ultimately dismissed. But Aldrin, who uh, later said the mission was part of God's eternal plan for man, was insistent and NASA officials granted him permission to hold a service under the condition that it received no publicity. He had to keep it quiet. So he approached the pastor of his church, Reverend Dean Woodruff of Webster Presbyterian Church near Houston, which is still called the Church of the Astronauts. Well, so many astronauts attended there about the question. And so the, the, the debate shifted from the legal to the theological. And although... Um, Aldrin, Buzz Aldrin, was uh, an ordained uh, lay elder, so to speak, in the Presbyterian Church. It was unclear whether he would be allowed to oversee communion on his own. But when his pastor asked the Presbyterian Church's stated clerk, one of the highest positions in the denomination, the official offered, quick, sure, yeah, it's going to the moon. Uh, Woodruff then procured a small silver cup for Aldrin to carry into orbit, making sure that it would fit the weight requirements. So then the the plan came to uh, fruition shortly after the Eagle landed on July 20th, 1969, sitting next to Armstrong. Uh, Buzz Aldrin pulled out the chalice, the wine, and the bread from, from his uh, personal preference kit, as they called it, and then spoke into the radio. He said, this is the LM, that is Lunar Module Pilot, and referring to uh, the eagle. He says, I would like to take this opportunity to ask every person listening, whoever and wherever they may be, to pause for a moment and contemplate the events of the past few hours and give thanks in their own way. And he read from scripture, from John 15, 5, which he had scrawled on a little three by five card. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit for you can do nothing without me. So he then sets about doing communion by himself. Armstrong did not partake, uh, making him the first person to celebrate Holy Communion, uh, a sacrament, on a heavenly body other than earth. Aldrin said in a uh, later interview that he poured the wine to the chalice that the church had given him. But in the one-six gravity of the moon, the wine curled slowly and gracefully up the side of the cup um, and it was interesting to think 
that the very first liquid ever poured on the moon and the first food eaten there were uh, communion elements. So there is a definite faith angle to all this uh, reminiscing about what's going on on the moon, this 50th anniversary stuff. It looks like I've got a problem. Um, Americans no longer hold clergy in such high regard, according to a recent poll, and even regular churchgoers are seeking counsel elsewhere. A NORC slash AP poll, not sure who NORC is, um, of 1,137 adults released this month shows that doctors, teachers, members of the military, even scientists, are viewed more positively than clergy. The less frequently people attend church, the more negative their views. That's not surprising. Uh, People who attend church less frequently, sure, they would have negative views of clergy. Among those who attend church less than once a month, only 42% said they had a positive view of clergy members. That's not a surprise, yeah. A rate comparable to that of lawyers who rank near the bottom of the list of professions. While frequent church attenders still hold clergy in high regard, about 75% viewed them positively. Okay, that that makes sense. They give them only passing grades on a number of personal attributes. Only 52% of monthly churchgoers considered clergy trustworthy. That number drops to 23% of those who attend less than once a month. Okay, that doesn't surprise me either. And 57% said they were honest and intelligent. Oh my gosh compared with 27% and 30% among infrequent attenders. Well, if people don't get to know you, they're not going to know you're trustworthy, honest, or intelligent. Um, but granted, given recent scandals and things in the news, our reputations have been damaged. If you buy into the religious worldview, then the religious leader looks completely different than if you don't buy into the worldview. Uh, that's profound, yes. Uh, there's a little bit of sarcasm in my voice, yes, said Scott Thuma, professor of sociology of religion at Hartford Seminary. The perception from the outside is pretty bleak. Yes, we all know that. Those of us on the inside know that. The survey confirms previous studies. A 2018 Gallup survey of the public's views of the honesty and ethical standards of a variety of occupations found that only 37% of Americans viewed clergy very highly. It's it, it, I mean, it corresponds with the secularization of of American society as a whole. Historians say public attitudes about clergy have been waning since the 1970s in tandem with the loss of trust in institutions post-Watergate, post-Vietnam. That that makes sense. The rise of the religious right and evangelical involvement in politics beginning in 1979 also played a role. What that did was create a certain polarization of views of the clergy. Instead of E. Brooks Holifield, um, Professor Emeritus of American Church History, Emory University's Candler School of Theology, uh, televangelist scandals, yeah, we know that. This is just telling us what we know. Is is it a press release or an article? It's hard to tell. Americans across the board said they didn't want clergy input when it came to family planning, child rearing, sex, careers, financial decision-making, medical decision-making, or voting. Clergy, the poll suggests, are growing irrelevant. On... No one has ever, I've been doing this 20 years, but no one has ever asked me 
or sought my input, nor have I wanted to give input on any of those topics. Ask more generally, when making important decisions, how often have you consulted a clergy member? 13% of monthly churchgoers said often, 31% sometimes, by contrast, 56% said rarely. So I don't think that means they're irrelevant. I just think I think people make those decisions in the privacy of their own home. I don't know that that makes us irrelevant. So I don't know what this study is telling us, telling us what we already know, but are, have, have people ever consulted clergy on these decisions? Uh, maybe in the Middle Ages, but in 800 years, no. So not sure this is something that we think this is not sure this is the news that we think it is so that's it we'll see you later have a good night good luck and take care keep both feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars bye for now